It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Kia ora, everybody. Kia ora. And welcome to another lockdown edition of Culture Vulture. We are so excited. Actually, I am so excited to talk about this TV show today. I know. We're talking about The White Lotus, which me and Liv watched at the very start of lockdown. And and Liv, okay, when you were watching it, or like straight after watching it, what did you think? Oh, it's just so funny because we thought that this show would last us the lockdown. I know. But- <laughs> It was what, we like eight episodes? Totally mistaken. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we sort of boosted through this show. It was great. Um, but at the time, I thought it was good. Mm. Like, I definitely enjoyed it. I think I would have struggled to keep watching it if we weren't watching it together. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. But as soon as it was over, I was like, holy fuck, that was incredible. I know. It's a, it's, it's a great slow burner, like in retrospect. And, and right now, doing the research for it, it's fucking amazing. But yes. when it finished, I was like, what the fuck have I just watched? How has this bettered me as a person? And now I'm like, oh my god, like, white privilege yeah. everywhere. The wellness industry, fuck it. <laughs> Absolutely, it's like changed my outlook on life. I and know. I just feel like this would have been the perfect sort of year 13 essay TV show to, to write about. And we're so lucky that we sort of get to talk Do about it. it it's part of our job totally so, so much to unpack no there's too much to unpack that i'm like bursting with anticipation right now to get into it so for anyone that hasn't seen the white lotus i would probably recommend maybe going and watching it and then coming and listening to this episode because spoiler alert oh the whole thing is a spoiler absolutely one huge spoiler please do go and watch it would absolutely recommend it's all on neon like it's so good it's so fast and it's just an amazing show it is like do push through because the first episode like it leaves you feeling all sort of weird ways and you don't really know why but hopefully this is why Lucy and I are here today to sort of unpack those strange feelings that it sort of bubbles up inside of you. Yes. So essentially, The White Lotus is a tragic comedy, which Ooh. I'd not heard of before, niche but it was genre. No, niche genre. <laughs> but it was in a lot of the think pieces to which there are some amazing ones mm-hmm. out there. And and just a bit of a um, disclaimer, I feel like a lot of my opinions are piggybacking on a lot of the smart people I've been reading. So oh. I can't even claim I know how I feel, but a lot of the opinions that I'm forming I'm not sure whether they're mine or whether I agree with the wonderful writers that have sort of come before us. Absolutely. Both I'm happy with, but I just thought we should put it out there in case you've heard some of this sort of before and you think like, what the fuck, Lucy? You did not come up with that. I know. (laughs) There are many, many smart people out there that have thought things before me or Liv. I agree with what Lucy said about, you know, taking the opinions of others, but I think it's just like reiterating what you have thought, backing what you maybe felt, but you didn't have the words for at the time of watching it. I mean, that's their jobs, I guess, writers. Words. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that? So basically, The White Lotus follows the storylines of a bunch of white privileged guests bar one, who we'll get into, um, staying at the White Lotus Resort in Hawaii. 
Now, the guests are all like adult babies or the children of adult babies and they think the world revolves around them. And as director Mike White shows us throughout the series, the world does in fact revolve around them. And it doesn't look to be changing anytime soon, does it, love? Not at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this whole series is, it's supposed to be satirical. Mm. That's how, if you look on the HBO website, it says, you know, this is a satirical drama. And what's so scary to me is that it doesn't even feel that satirical. Like, Mm. it doesn't even feel that hyperbolized to the world that we are living in. Mm. I think at first in my notes I was writing like, you know, this is a magnifying glass of society and racial inequality and an economical inequality. But then I was sort of like, actually, it's not even getting a magnifying glass. It's very blatant. Mm, And and satire doesn't have to be a magnified or hyperbolized um, anything. So I think when they say satire, they genuinely just mean putting blatantly in front of you what's happening and you're seeing it as if it's like this big mystical show but it's like no this is actually real life and yeah. you're laughing at it but it's it's you it's, it's you. the world it's you and that's the point yeah, we will get into this but that was like the takeaway point right hell it is yes probably you <laughs> it is probably us so i thought the way we should sort of structure this episode is that first we're going to really briefly go into mike white the director just for a bit of context for us And um, to see some of the other things that he's done. And then me and Liv will go through the whole show storyline by storyline. So I'll do the whole family, the Mossbacher family who come to the island. And Liv will do all the other storylines that occur. Which is going to be deep and it's going to be great. And then we're going to just finish off with like our final takeaways. And and maybe what we've learnt, if this is like an English essay. How this reflects on society. Oh, there's a lot of that in there I tell you what yes fuck yes it is society this this whole show honestly I I love it but it makes me feel like icky yeah and it and so it should so Mike White um wrote the screenplays for the School of Rock and Nacho Libre he also acted in the School of Rock as um he was Ned Schneebly Oh my god, he was Ned Schneebly. <laughs> well, see, I can't recall the School of Rock. I oh my know god. I've seen it before. But... So Jack Black impersonates Ned Schneebly. And he was Ned Schneebly. I just made that. <laughs> and Lucy and I use the word Schneebly all, all the time. All the time. He was also big on um, Freaks and Geeks, which is like this small sort of cult show with James Franco in it. And he's a big reality TV buff. So he was actually on The Amazing Race and... Survivor. Oh, was he on The Amazing... I knew he was on Survivor. Didn't know he was on The Amazing Race. Yeah. I fucking loved that show as so, a Yeah, so he's obsessed with reality TV. And it's funny because The White Lotus kind of feels reality TV-ish in the way that it just follows the char- different characters doing their normal day-to-day things. Absolutely. It's relatively mundane in its subject matter. Mm. And yeah, and now you say yeah. it. It is very reality TV-like. I mean, without the... The interviews. Yes, I know. It is, without making them self-reflect. Because, of course, as we learn to find out, they don't self-reflect. They're happy in their little bubble of white privilege. We'll get into that. So Mike White has quite strong connections to Hawaii. So he said that his family used to take, like, real budget sort of holidays to Hawaii when he was younger. And 
from then on, he often has spent like half his time there. And obviously, after creating the White Lotus, he was asked about this a lot. Mm. And so in an interview that I read with him, he said that he has read up and is fully like schooled, I guess, on um, the history of particularly the wounds of US imperialism on Hawaii, which I was happy to read because you'd have to be. To create a show like this, you'd have to know the history of your people taking over Hawaii, Absolutely. I think I would actually recommend anyone looking up the colonization of Hawaii. It's really interesting and there's a lot of sort of background to the show of Mm. this, a lot more deeper understanding of the storylines. Yeah. He said that as a kid, he loved Lao Night at the hotels when hotel employees would put traditional, you know, the flower Laos mm-hmm. on you. Um, but he thinks about those experiences very differently now because obviously it's what we saw in the White Lotus. It's the people whose land has been taken, then having to work in these resorts and like appropriate their own culture it's, to make money to keep living on their own land. It's so, so, so fucked up. And I think that it's crazy because, you know, we'll go on holiday or people will go on holiday, probably myself included, to get a snippet of that magical feeling that these mm. cultures really have. But the way that it's done and the way that the White Lotus shows that it's done is like us exploiting these cultures to Completely. make ourselves feel good. Yes. And then like putting ourselves above these people, even though it's the magic of their, their culture societies exactly. that we are trying to like pay for, yeah. but we're not even paying them properly. And the only reason we pay them is because often we've taken the land that they now can't afford to live on. Absolutely. So it's all just this cycle that's really unfair. And we feel like we have the right to it. I know. And we absolutely do not. Mm -mm. Um, One final thing on Mike White. He did say there's something about vacationing in other people's realities, which I think sums up the White Lotus really beautifully. And Mm. I just think if you actually go and look into him, his intentions with this show are really good. He's a well-intentioned director and it just it feels so funny to be analyzing this as a non-expert but as people that benefit from the white privilege that he's really overtly showing in the show and I'm just really glad that we get to dive into it because it does make you feel icky but that means that you're uncomfortable and that means you will change. Hopefully, absolutely. Hopefully. And how ironic is it that his name's Mike White? I know. I've been seeing you smiling at me across the podcast, Mike, like wanting to say that. I was like, what's she about to say? It's like the least hot take ever. No. Like Mike White, the White Lotus. I know. White privilege. It is. It's too much. And we're on a mic. We're talking on a mic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, true. Very meta. That's the hottest take of the whole pod. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Mike and Mike. Oh, my God. (laughs) So let's start with the family mm-hmm. that comes to the White Lotus to escape and have a really lovely holiday. So this is the Moss Barker family. So we have Nicole, the mother, and tech CFO. We have her mm-hmm. husband, Mark. We have their porn-addicted 16-year-old son, Quinn, and their daughter, Olivia, who is Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria. And she's been described as... A bitchy, performatively woke college sophomore. And I agree with that. I couldn't have written that any better, so I just took it. Yeah. Um, And she has brought along her friend Paula. 
Now we'll get into Paula, Olivia and Quinn, the children of the family, but I think we should start with the mum and dad. So we meet Mark with his giant nuts and he thinks he's got... What an opener. No, Were you so excited to say that? I was. If I was gleefully looking at you across the mark, I think you were returning that double I definitely was. Um, but in all seriousness, he was worried that he had testicular cancer because his dad died of it. But then he finds out that his dad actually died of AIDS, which throws him into a, dare I say, mildly homophobic tailspin. Not even mildly, oh, quite a homophobic quite homophobically tailspin. Yeah. <laughs> and at, at the same time, he's desperately, he thinks he's going to die before he finds out that his dad didn't die of testicular cancer. So he's trying to reconnect with Quinn in any way that he can. He also nearly fucks the hotel manager, which I wish happened, as he's on this journey to like understand his dad better. Did you think it was going to happen? Yes, and I actually wish it did. Yeah, same. I can't Good wait content. to talk about the hotel manager. Um, and, and he also sort of divulges a bit too much about his relationship with his wife and his sex life with his wife to Quinn. Quinn doesn't ask for that, and he just goes a bit far. And then we have Nicole, who, in the words of the New Yorker, complains that her hotel suite doesn't provide nice feng shui for her Zoom with China. She feels attacked by her daughter's mocking of her Hillary Clinton-style feminism. And she's insulted by Rachel, who you'll come to meet, who once wrote a profile of her insinuating that she had capitalised on the Me Too movement to climb the corporate ladder. So Nicole's interesting. The mum is interesting because she really does subscribe to that classic girl boss old type of feminism that's kind of exclusionary like I can see it being trans exclusionary and exclusionary of women of color it's that classic like lift woman up on the corporate ladder type of feminism that's very straight and narrow I feel like it was the feminism that we were brought Brought up up on yeah like we were in the era at school where it was like, yes, you can be a CEO. Yes, yes. you can like... CEO. Yes. Like it, break the glass ceiling. Absolutely. But only if you're a white sort of already middle class woman. Yes. And we've sort of learnt, I feel like, that feminism is so much more than that. It's very intersectional. You know, trans women are women. And, and you to be a feminist, you must recognise that, which the mum in the show does not. For sure. Like, I think this sort of idea of feminism that she really really sort of encapsulates is one where you're kind of disregarding your entire other privilege Mm. you're sort of like because Mm -hmm. I'm a woman I have the right to sort of like how do I say like it's like amazing because you're a woman that's your marginalized card yeah that's how it used that's how the mum comes across yes so like because she's a woman it was the one piece of marginalization that she could relate to but it was like enough because we didn't understand enough about intersectionality Mm. and things like that that she could play on that too heavily Mm -hmm. and I feel like that again is a world that we were brought into like as a kid I felt like that my feminism card like trumped everything else and it doesn't at all I just like didn't understand enough about it hell yes and and we were lucky that we sort of grew up just in time, just in the right yeah. time to flip that over to like learn to the proper way. Yeah, to unlearn and learn. But this mum in the show certainly didn't. Now she at one point says, 
I don't think you appreciate how tough things are for kids like Quinn right now. He is a straight white young man and nobody has any sympathy for them right now. And then Paula, who's the only person of colour that we see staying at the White Lotus, she's Olivia, the daughter's best friend, she says, maybe it's impossible to hire straight white male candidates these days because up until now, they're the only people that you've ever hired. And then Nicole goes, the mum, I'm just saying I understand how guys like Quinn can feel a little alienated from the culture right now. It's just so interesting because people say this shit all the time. Yes. I I can imagine the majority of my mum's friends saying this. Literally. Like, this is not a far-fetched thing. And, again, it's only kind of putting value in the marginalisation that affects you. Yes. Right? And your kid who's a straight white male that you're really worried about feeling alienated from the culture as you're speaking to a person of colour. I just think there is that disconnect that still exists in that generation. Totally so wrapped in your own cocoon that Mm. you can't even see how what you're saying is so kind of fucked up. Exactly. And, And then we have Mark. Now, Mark is the epitome of the patriarchy. So this is this is interesting because because he's well intentioned, he's very well intentioned, yeah. and he's good natured, like a nice guy. He's, he's a nice guy. He's a nice he's white nice guy, guy. Um, but he really needs to feel respected. Like he needs to feel like the protector, and and he did say that you know he feels emasculate, emasculated by not making as much money as his wife. Um, and then he felt emasculated when he found out his dad was gay. And then when he was the one that took out Kai or when their room was being robbed mm. and he really was seen as the protector, the whole narrative like switched and, and you could just see like, that's how the patriarchy works. Like they just want to be the alpha. And then in no matter what context they become the alpha, like in this case, Kai was fucking going to go to jail and... He didn't even care. He didn't even take time to learn about the context. Mm-hmm. He was just like, yes, I punched him out. I'm now the protector. I'm the best. And it's kind of like, he's he's not really recognizing his white privilege, but... Um, he's almost victim to the patriarchy, even though he represents the patriarchy in a sense, because he obviously grew up with this really macho or macho seeming dad, and mm. he was never good enough, you know, for his kind of... He was never good enough for this really masculine guy that he really, really idolized. Mm. And then the whole story of him is, like, him yearning for that same respect that he had towards his father. Mm -hmm. And then that, like, breakdown of his sort of fictionalized childhood that he had in his head that wasn't really the case because his dad wasn't the man that he he thought he was. And then wanting... Quinn to admire him in the same way. I know. But he wasn't ever trying to actually understand Quinn or what Quinn wanted. Exactly. That was one thing that I will probably get into when we talk about Quinn. But it's like, he is... And this is so deep because he's trying to make himself feel good by telling Quinn all these things and never once asking Quinn anything, which is like what we see a lot of white people doing to people of colour. They're trying to make themselves feel lighter and like they're helping by saying all these things, but never once asking the other person. Yes. So, and, and that's the same with the patriarchy. I think you're so right that he is representative of the patriarchy and he's also a victim of it and he can't see it. No, absolutely. I also think, um, and this is something I read as well, but I agree with, he feels very victimized by progressive attitudes. Like when they're watching the Hawaiian dancing and Paula quite rightly takes issue with it and and says, you know, 
they shouldn't have to be performing for us. Like, this is their land. And then Mark says, obviously imperialism was bad, but it's humanity. Welcome to history. Welcome to America. And then Nicole says, I think it's just a way for them to honour their culture. And they seem to be having a really good time. I'm sorry. It just White privilege, the patriarchy, and all the disconnects. Like, the quotes. Everywhere. It's just sickening, so sickening, because it's so, so, so relatable. So, It's so so true. Like, I've watched Fire Dancing in Fiji. Yes. Quite literally. I was sitting there thinking, holy fuck, I was 10, and I've seen this, and my family, I mean, we're not on Moss Barker level, but, like, we've done this exact thing. I feel like it's such a white thing to go on these family holidays. And my family would go on family holidays all <laughs> so the time. Bad. And this is just, like, throwing it in our faces, the blatancy of sort of the fucked up nature of what we do. What we do. As a society and what we are part of. And and I wonder if our parents were to watch it, if they would recognize this. Like, I like, love my parents so much. Same. Deeply. <laughs> so much, deeply. And they're a fantastic people. But I really think if they watched this, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able it. to ingest it. No, I don't think they would see themselves reflected as we're seeing ourselves reflected. And that's a beautiful part of empathy of our, like, Gen Z culture. Yes. You might call us snowflakes, but... It's empathy, and we're seeing ourselves on screen, and then we want to change it. We're not, like, putting up the shield and saying, that's not us. Yeah, that's totally. not me. Because we're trying to break down what we have been doing in the past, and now with this new information. It's not even fucking new information. Yeah. We're just suddenly now opening our eyes. Like, let's change our behavior, eh? Yeah. No, oh. I know. So so let's get into Paula, Olivia, and Kai. So Paula and Olivia are supposedly best friends. And Paula, who's a person of colour, has come on holiday with the family. Which is interesting in itself because I wasn't going to get into this yet, but I am. The only person of colour that's a main character has been brought there or enabled by a white family. Mm-hmm. So it's just so reflective of like... Yes, you can have a seat at the table, but you've got here, don't you forget, you've got here by a white person letting you get here. Absolutely, and you should feel so thankful and so grateful that you've been allowed here. I know. And it's so it's so intentional. Like, Absolutely. Mike White, like, this is very intentional, and we will get to this later. I keep saying that, but the critiques of the show, I think, are also the point. Like, mm-hmm. having all of these, like... Um, you didn't have that many Hawaiians as main characters or whatever. It's like, that's the point because that's, that's point. real life. Yeah. They get treated as the background and we don't see context to them and and that's real life. And yeah. I think it was very intentional. So Olivia and Paula's friendship is quite unique. Uh, it was bordering on sexual and and I really felt that and I went through and I read some interviews and both the actresses that played um, Olivia and Paula said watching it back they see it but Mm. it wasn't intentional like the sexual tension or chemistry or jealousy or whatever we're seeing there wasn't intentional but when they watch when they've watched White Lotus back yeah because I remember when when we were watching it and you were like oh is she in love with Paula yeah Yeah. do you think that that's because it has been created by a guy and Mm. just like I don't know, the understanding of girl-to-girl friendships. Like, there's always that sort of lens yeah. of sexuality put on it by men. Yeah. But but I don't know. I mean, it could be. I mean, there's a question about the male gaze. That Absolutely. could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> so Paula then sparks a relationship with Kai, a Hawaiian boy who works at the resort. 
and Olivia tries to steal him. So Paula initially keeps him secret. Actually, she tries to keep him secret the whole time. Olivia finds out. Mm -hmm. She tries to steal him. She's done this with one of Paula's previous boyfriends. And this is where Paula kind of realizes that Olivia is willing to do whatever it takes to always have more than Paula. Even though by nature of her place in society, Olivia already does. She still needs to feel like she has more, and that is kind of the last straw for Paula. So after hearing Kai's story about how the government illegally took his family's land in order to build the White Lotus Hotel, and he now performs traditional dances for the white guests to afford to live on his land, which is not something that's fictionalized. This is a very true part of the storyline and for Hawaiian people. Paula gives Kai the code to the safe in the Moss Barker's hotel room and tells him to go and steal some $70,000 bracelets. painful, isn't it? Yeah, and he gets caught. And Paula doesn't even go and try to stop this all from happening when she realizes that Nicole and Mark are going back to the hotel room. This is like a little nod to Paula's privilege even being in that situation in that she thinks she's trying to help Kai. She can't see that he's going to have dire, dire consequences and she doesn't do anything to stop it and she doesn't actually have any consequences at the end of it. Yeah, like the naivety of the whole thing because she just can't even comprehend the actual repercussions that could happen to Kai because he doesn't have that blanket that she actually still has. Exactly. And then it's interesting, we don't see Kai again after... He's trying after he's caught trying to steal um, the bracelet, and I think again that's very intentional because as white people, when something bad happens, it's often just othered. It's like just cut from our cut from our lives. It's separated from us, and that's what they did. They just as soon as he was no longer, even though he actually was relevant to the storyline, we would have liked to know what happened to Kai because we were invested in him. The way the world works is like he was just cut from the script, cut from the story. Absolutely. He was it. a character on the sideline. We could get in our plane and fly away. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's what they do at the end of the holiday. Yeah. So Olivia finds out that it was Kai that broke in, had this big ordeal, like really scared the mum. The dad had a fight with him. Like it seems really dangerous. Olivia finds out that Paula sort of made it all happen. And then um, Paula says that it might be a tiny little bit of payback for what Olivia and her family have taken from the planet. She says, I guess it's not stealing when you think that everything's already yours. Mm. Which this whole like to and fro is very interesting. And then Olivia responds, something awful might have happened, insinuating that her mother might have died or, you know, something bad might have happened. And then Paula says, something awful did happen. And I think she's meaning, like, Kai's life is ruined now. And, and and it's just become this, like, anecdote for the dad to tell about how he was the protector. It's nothing more than a funny story that happened on the white privileged holiday. But for Kai, his life is over. I know. And the fact that Olivia can't even see that something awful has happened. I know. Like, it's not even choosing to ignore it, right? It's just doesn't exist in her consciousness it doesn't exist in their narrative yes and then there's this whole other like power dynamic now because olivia knows that paula has set this all up so now if paula wasn't already indebted to olivia for taking her on holiday and being her you know rich white middle class friend she's indebted because olivia knows too much olivia could put paula in jail like there's just a whole other power so many power like the power dynamic between olivia and paula is very very interesting and just like so painful to watch and it just is 
awful that that's the way it ended. I know. I mean, obviously, for a good reason. Mm. Um, for Mike White's sort of, you know, what he's trying to portray. But fuck, that oh, no. whole thing, I think that was the worst bit. Oh, I know. That was just like tension built up in the body. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, well, if it's bad for us watching it, imagine how bad it is for Kai living it, and then like people like Kai in real life. And as soon it. as Paula had that idea for Kai to steal the bracelet, blah 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 blah, we already knew exactly what was going to happen because mm. who has the power in this mm. circumstance? Exactly, the white people that are always going to come out on top. And I think the fact that she thought that this was a good idea just shows her. I mean, we've already sort of spoken about it, but her removal yes. from his situation. She was really trying to be an ally to him, and we see this in Olivia as well. Yeah. But she couldn't be an ally to him because she hasn't been in his shoes. Just like Olivia is trying to be the perfect ally to people of colour, like Paula, but she is incapable of empathising because she's not been in those shoes, and she takes it upon herself to sort of lecture her family and lecture other people while not really being able to see that she's just like her family. Right? But, like, did this... Okay, obviously Olivia is a pretty awful character and no one wants to see themselves in Olivia. But I did see myself in, like, her... Trying to school her family at dinner? Totally, at dinner. Like, I I remember my dinner time conversations of me getting all high and mighty about some sort of social inequality Mm. issue and being like to my parents, you just don't get it, you just don't get Mm. it. And it's like, I don't know... It just was painful it to, was. to see it reflected in a character like Olivia. And you have the same name. <laughs> yes, what I think it is. the principle's the same. What I think it is, Liv, is because I'm all for those conversations and I have them all the time. And I feel like when we were younger, we were saying it because we'd learnt it. Whereas what it is now is making sure you walk the walk if you talk the talk. Mm. So, like, making sure that you're not really lecturing people on it. You're recognizing it and you're changing your behavior. Whereas Olivia reverted straight back into her family's comfort. Like, you know, as soon as um, she realized like Paula had tried to set her family up, she really just reverted straight back into Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, at the end of the day, my family's still rich. We're fine. We're on holiday. Like, I don't have to worry. And there was that really interesting scene where I think Paula sat at the table and she's seeing them all get along for the first time. And it was, you almost felt happy that they were all getting along. But then mm. you were like, no, this is so fucked up because of what's brought them together. I know. I know. It's so fucked up. And, and you could just tell, Paula was a great, like, vehicle, I reckon. Super interesting character. I felt so sorry for Paula because she was in this liminal space in between these two worlds right where she didn't fit in Mm -hmm. in either places and I know that a lot of people of color have said how they don't fit into either of like the two binary societies that they're sort of meant to fit into and I think she just epitomized this how like she was on holiday with her best friend who happens to be a white privileged woman but she's also trying to connect with Kai, who she probably feels like she relates to on a deeper level because they share the same sort of struggles, but but then they don't. And they so, don't, yeah, she's yeah. trying to f- figure out where she lands in the world. And it's really hard to do when you have a little bit of privilege, but you're also from a really marginalised group. Like, that we, that must, that fuck must with be fucking so hard. And mm-hmm. I think she portrayed that beautifully. Yeah. Um. But, I mean, that whole situation was just tense. And then we have Quinn. Now, Quinn's my favorite character. 
He's my favorite character, like in terms of the white people. I think Belinda was definitely my favorite. Belinda's character a gem. Yeah, yeah, Belinda and Quinn love them. But I do find lots interesting about Quinn. He, I don't know if it's because I grew up with three brothers and I sort of see bits of each of my brothers and the way that Olivia treats Quinn, I could definitely be not on that level, but a bit like that. You're just quite dominating. You're like, no, go sleep over there. Because you were the older sister, Mm. right? I mean, except for your oldest brother, but yes, I saw a lot of that and I really, fuck, I empathized with Quinn so much and like when you have your friends around like um Olivia had Paula and they just sort of boss him around you know oh my god like yeah yeah. it was always the other way for me because I was the youngest yeah 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 Yeah. totally get it so Quinn is as we just said the younger brother of Olivia and when he arrives he is very much sort of addicted to technology and to porn you know just looking for those little bursts of dopamine to get him through the day escapism he doesn't really know what he's living for right he couldn't care fucking less that he's at a resort in Hawaii. but And he's made to sleep in the little kitchenette, which is hilarious. And then he's made to sleep on the beach at Olivia's request. Not even request, at her fucking direction. Yeah. yeah. Throughout the series, we see his phone actually break because it's drenched as he's sleeping on the beach. Um, and then he really starts to sort of see the world, which does sound very cliche, but it is really interesting because it comes, you know, like he sees some dolphins and he starts scuba diving with his dad. And then like his dad, as we talked about, starts telling him way too much about his sex life in order to try and get close to him. But like, as we said, this is just the patriarchy thing again. Like the dad never asked Quinn about him. He just sort of offloads his own shit onto Quinn to feel better. Totally. To like just to feel like he's doing something, I guess. So Quinn it's so ironic. Yeah, I know. I just, like, it's just all very ironic and very it's true. So self-centered. So self-centered. So um Quinn sort of represents if we're talking about white privilege, Quinn is sort of like representing that desire to escape it. You know, he's mm-hmm. the young one. He's the youngest one that's like I'm not the the girl boss feminist. Like, I'm not the fake ally. I'm the one that's going to escape this thing. I'm the one that wants to connect. Yes. But from a very white and privileged standpoint. Always. Again, it's just not quite there. White people can't, like, ever fully feel the way that people that we're often fucking over feel. So Quinn wanting to escape the system, like, the, the family that he lives in and the world that he lives in and stay in Hawaii... Is like when people go to wellness retreats and they discover themselves and then they like come back and they want to change the system and blah, blah, blah. But in reality, like people that go off to wellness retreats are often white people. You have to have enough money to go to them. Like it's a very privileged way of wanting to better society. Absolutely. And, and then taking parts from other cultures and religions yes. and to it's all to make to yourself feel better. Themselves, yeah. It's like you're paying to make yourself feel better when you could be paying to help the people that can't afford to go to these fucking wellness retreats. And then in turn, you'll probably feel better about yourself, which is the ironic thing. It's so ironic. So I sort of saw Quinn. Quinn was... <laughs> he's trying his best, right? He's young. He can't see that he's still... Use, he doesn't have to worry about money, so he thinks he can just live there. And like, it's very privileged to just take from this culture what you want, the relaxation, the connection, and not, like, he probably wouldn't have any idea about the struggles of the Hawaiian people that have had their land taken or whatever. He just feels better there, so he wants to stay. So he's trying to reject the world around him, but it's kind of the opposite because 
he's only ever known Hawaii as a resort when yeah. it's not really a resort. He's also, like, he's trying to do it for freedom from um, his world at home and his phone mm-hmm. and technology and all that. But, like, it's not him that needs the freedom. Like, it's not him that deserves the freedom. The freedom. It's just yeah. all very, very ironic. I know. But then, okay, so with Quinn... He gets to the airport, he turns around, he goes back, he wants to live in Hawaii forever. It's a better place for him. For him. He feels it's a better place for him, and he wants to get out of the system that he hates, which his family live in and perpetuate. A lot of people obviously shit on Quinn for wanting to do this. There's issues with wanting to do this, and plus he's 16, it's not going to work. But it's also, like, he's also trying to do something to break out of the system that fucking sucks. And it just always comes back to, like, do we want people to try imperfectly, like, do something, and then, and then sh- like, are we going to shit on them for that? Or would we rather they all just do nothing? Would we rather Quinn just go home with his family and go back to his phone and his porn and forget what he learned in Hawaii and not want to change the system? Absolutely. It's so complicated. I think you and I always err on the side of do something. Do something. Do fucking something, right? Because otherwise it's just fucking depressing. Yes. Like, the irony is we us white people go to these cultures to get something that we're not getting from our own culture because we're not valuing the right things exactly for true like well-being and Mm -hmm. happiness and obviously we want to do something about that going about it in the totally wrong way but it is sad that like we don't have anything of our own to like cling on to in that sense and it's quite a confronting it's very feeling. It's because it's like, okay, do then I just have to subscribe to what white people do now in the Western way of living, which I fundamentally think is pretty fucked up. Hmm. Or do I try and do, do, something, try and do something and then get cancelled or shed on for it? For potentially appropriating someone else's culture, but it it's a it's a messy space. Yeah. But the good thing is there are people to help you navigate navigate that space. Like if I feel like if Quinn were to go back to his usual life, but then really engage with like native Hawaiian people and try and change things from within the system, right? Because it's yeah. really hard to do it from outside. But he's sixteen. Like there are ways. It's not like hopeless. It's not a hopeless thing as long as we don't like shit on everyone who tries. Totally. I think we are like going down this path and meeting some dead ends and stuff and having to retract, like, but we are trying to find a way. Mm. And it's just giving people grace. Like, Quinn, I would give the most grace out of all the characters, um, and he's got the most potential to do good. He's also, like, the only character at the end of it that had changed. Mm. Like, he's the only one Mm. that That had fundamentally fundamentally changed. changed. So while, yes, he can't escape to Hawaii and just sort of almost appropriate their culture and only see the beauty, he at least was sort of doing something. If you're really enjoying this episode and you want to hear the rest of it, I hate to cut it short here, but you can come over to the Culture Vulture podcast and hear all the rest of the chat there. Bye, guys.